Welcome to the Producers Happy Hour with your hosts, Sister Christian and Lawrence Lewis. We are two producers chatting over drinks about what it means and what it takes to be a good producer. So grab your budget, grab a call sheet, grab a drink. You're going to need it. And let's get to it. Because making is hard. And I am so happy to be talking with you again because it has been, it's only Tuesday, but it has been a week. Oh, may I? Okay, two two things about that already. One is this year, I know that um, you expressed to me last week that, or the week before that, wow, this year's going by kind of fast. I'm like, it's been three years already and we're only March. <laughs> so it's, that's, it's, that's what it's like for me. It's unreal. I mean, it's full, it's like full steam ahead out there. Katie bar the doors, no hold barred, wide open. <laughs> like, you know, everybody needs to make their shit right now. Yes. So yeah. Yeah, it's full on. Um, but we're here, we're back. Our schedule's irregular, but we're doing our best because we're busy producers, but we're continuing this Meet the Crew series. And uh, it takes us back to the original concept of the show before all this crazy COVID stuff. Exactly. It just means that we're talking to talented crew members and craftspeople we work with to find out their definition of a good producer because it's subjective, right? Plus, we want to know how a producer and production team could best support them so they can be the best they can be at their own jobs. And who else needs more support than a director on set, right? The most important person on the set. And today we have none other than Jordan Brady to chat with us about it. Hi, Jordan. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. We're very excited. <laughs> yes, and very importantly, what's everyone drinking? Jordan? I am. It's it's late in the afternoon, and normally I wouldn't drink, so uh, this is a special occasion to be on the Producers Happy Hour podcast. So I am sipping a, just a little bit of Clase Azul Reposado. It's a top-shelf tequila that many of you gaze at in that white ceramic bottle that's tall, and it's got a silver bell on oh, top. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Each bottle painted by hand in Mexico. Oh my gosh, that is lovely. <laughs> Christian, what about you? I, well, I mean, yes, I remember staying in an Airbnb once in Hollywood that had like 18 of them empty along the wall. And I was like, wow, I wish I was here <laughs> whenever that was happening. <laughs> um, well, today I'm having, you know how I like my pre-mixed cocktails. So I'm having something called On the Rocks. It is a premium cocktail margarita made with hornitos. And I'm taking it straight from the bottle because that's the kind of day that I'm having. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Lawrence? Yes. Well, I'm drinking a lovely uh, Sardonnay, which is a Chardonnay Sounds made white up. wine. No, this is real. <laughs> Chardonnay white wine from Sardinia. So it's a Sardonnay, and it is delicious. So... There oh. you go. It just well, looks refreshing. <laughs> it does, cheers, doesn't everybody. It? Cheers. All right, we're going to dive in, but just first a reminder to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts because it helps other people find our show. And trust me, we all need to stick together these days. And we definitely want to hear from you. So send us an email at producershappyhour at gmail.com. Send us your question, comments, ideas for show topics, love us, hate us, whatever. Just send it along. We'll Send it. it along. Yeah. All right. We're so excited to have Jordan on as a guest. Jordan Brady is a 100% self-taught 
filmmaker. He's directed four narrative feature films, three full documentaries, and over 1,200 national and regional commercials, as well as Maria Bamford's acclaimed Netflix comedy special. And he's also won, like, buckets of advertising awards, including multiple Clios and Addies and Promax Awards and AICP Awards and so much more. Um, and don't worry, folks, in his spare time, Mr. Brady hosts a popular weekly filmmaking podcast, Respect the Process. And he also teaches the Commercial Directing Bootcamp. And we're going to definitely talk about that because we're, I'm excited about that. Jordan, how are you? Thanks for joining us today. Oh, I am super de duper. Thanks for having me. And what a great intro. Yes, well, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a research. It's your fault. <laughs> I, I, we're just going to start off with some softball questions. How long have you been directing? How long have you been doing this? I have been directing commercials since 1998. Ooh, I was, the year I, I started, was, too. I was, uh, I was setting out to raise money for a feature, indie fe- feature film that I had written that I was determined to direct. And back in the late 90s, off the heat of Tarantino and Soderbergh, you know, people wanted to make these indie films and production companies had an indie film arm. So I went to these commercial production companies and hit them up for money. And one of them, Crash Films, I think they crashed and burned long ago, said, we're not going to put money in your uh, movie, but why don't you direct this commercial? And I said, I love that. I had been doing promos and such in TV. So uh, that was my first official commercial uh, and then went on to make the movie, and I've made thousands of commercials since. Thousands. Amazing. Well, can we can we dive a let's dive a you little can ask bit me deeper. anything. anything. <laughs> Perfect. So here we go. So did you just begin one day as a director, or did you come? Did you start? Did you film? Where where was the beginning? Beginning? Were you PA? You know, sadly, I never got to work on the the crew. <laughs> sadly. Yeah. Really? You never yeah. you never have. Never I never have. I mean, I've helped people. Sure. Uh, you know, that in that regard. No, I was a stand-up comedian in the 80s, 80s and 90s and on and off I was be- I've been in and out of remission from stand-up for for decades, but I did it as a career in the comedy boom of the 80s. And that was, uh, I was living in Virginia, traveling around the country. I've been to wow. every state except Maine. And that elusive lady we call fame lured me to Hollywood. And I was a bad actor, but I was a great game show host. Where is this going, Jordan? So <laughs> I, got, I mean, I'm holding on. <laughs> so I got tapped to host shows. I did a kid's show. I did an MTV show. And it was at NBC hosting a children's show where I started really directing. MTV and Comedy Central, I directed stuff like little promos as I was hosting shows. And then just fell in love behind the camera. And uh, in fact, at NBC is where I started doing the, the promo campaigns for the children's television block of programming. It's like Saved by the Bell promos. Ah, and so that was like a bastard cousin of commercials, right? They're right. thirty seconds, but it's not a real ad. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Jordan, I think we probably, were you in New York or LA at this time? Because we probably know a lot of the same people if you were very material. Yeah. Yeah. I was, at, I was in New York. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, do, so Evan uh, Silver and I could just go down a list of people. Chris Koch, maybe. Chris Koch for sure. Yeah. But I was in LA with Viacom and MTV. Mm-hmm. New York, I lived there to do an MTV show. And then I did an, a Comedy Central show when the Comedy Channel and Ha merged, like pre-Comedy Central. Huh. Yeah, it was a show John Stewart hosted called the Short Attention Span Theater. Oh, or I can't remember short, Yeah, that. Short Attention Span Theater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so yeah, I did yeah. that for a summer or two, and they would send me out with a box of high eight tapes and make shitty promos. Can we say bad words? <laughs> I yeah, mean, yeah. Of course. I, yeah. I mean, yeah. we only say bad words, actually. So. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, I bet we know. I, we'll have to get. We'll have to connect after this because I'm sure it would bore the shit out of everybody. But yeah, we probably know a lot of the same people from that family much, of people. Much younger than I am. Don't I? Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 yeah. It's the New York hatred in me. Okay. <laughs> Keeping you young. Keeping Keeps you young. young. <laughs> exactly. Okay. All right. So, obviously, as a director, you work in very close collaboration with producers. And that's what we're all about here is learning how to be a better producer. So, what do you see as being the most important thing the producers you work with contribute to the work that you do? I'm sure people have said this before, but I just love when the producer, we're talking line producer, not yes. executive producer, right? Line because there's producer. a difference, Yes, right? there is. There's a huge yeah. difference. When so one of them line, works and the other one kind of talks. <laughs> yeah, the other one, you go, what do, what do you do? I work with some great executive producers. I'm, I've been very blessed. Yes. Same. But, yeah. uh, but the line producers that I have worked with have always provided me with solutions. Get it, like, we used to record the conference call. Now I will ask the creative team, can I record the Zoom when I'm pitching? And usually the um, pro tip, transcribe the conference call. Let a robot or artificial intelligence, you know, for $15, transcribe it. And then you can share that with your team, starting with the line producer. So if if we're going to get a, a crane... The line producer says to me, do you just need it in the morning? Can I let them go? Because if so, we can get a better deal, and then you can afford the aardvark. Because, you know, she knew I wanted an aardvark. If it's like, we're going to do it all day, they'll go, okay, well, let's schedule it for all day, and, you know, we'll do something early in the morning while they're building the crane. Another way is uh, to milk the crane analogy is, hey, are there any other shots that you want to get that you weren't thinking about that could be off a crane? Oh. Right? I already love your line producer, nice. whoever they are, because yeah. I, you, I was told not to say names. <laughs> well, you can you. you we'll, I won't we'll, say uh, Alexis Seely. There you go. I won't say <laughs> Steve Sills. <laughs> There you go. If it's yeah. if it's high praise, it's allowed. <laughs> okay. Yeah, really Good. wonderful. And and also, I, I think the other thing that I love my stars, I love when I don't know the uh, shenanigans that goes on behind the scenes. I love. I, I don't love, but I enjoy at the end of the day when they go. 
oh, you don't even know what happened today. And I was like, great, because I'm looking at the camera, trying to keep the chit-chatters around the camera to, you know, to stop talking. I'm focused on the performance. I do comedy, mostly comedy dialogue. So I don't care if there was a fight with the neighbor and the caterer. <laughs> right, yeah. You know? I, I'll never forget, I had a, a producer, not my producer, but someone working for a company that I had uh, in the last decade, tell me, he goes, oh, you know, there was so much drama at craft service between so-and-so and so-and-so, and, you know, it just was not cool. And then I had lunch with the director, and he said, oh, and all that drama that went on at the craft service with so-and-so and so-and-so. And I was like, well, how did you know? Well, the producer told me. Of course I want to know what's going on in my set. I was like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. I don't, they should have shielded you from that. I always ask for consent before. I'm like, do you want to know the drama that just happened? Ed? If you don't, fantastic. <laughs> no. I'm happy to save it for then. But, you know, like, I, it depends on the director, but I will offer drama if I know that they would be interested in it. Otherwise, I just wait until the end because it's irrelevant and it will only sidetrack your thoughts for the day. You know, Sid Hartha was shielded from pain, poverty, illness when he was in the palace. It was only after he left the palace that he became the Buddha when he saw pain and suffering and hunger right. and things like that. Right, right. Dropping wow. a little Siddhartha reference. That is, that is quite <laughs> the analogy. <laughs> Not really. I didn't have a good ending. I need to work on that one. That's new material. <laughs> You're getting there. It's new. It's new. Five. Workshop yeah. new. <laughs> exactly. Well, well, then this question will go along with what you just said, I believe. But it... it what are some things about being a director that producers often overlook or might not understand? Like, say you're great. This may we may revisit this later, but say you're um, working with somebody for the first time. One of your regular producers happens to be, God forbid, unavailable. That's a tough one. I will say, directors need to understand that people cannot read your mind. The director. Yeah, she, he, they think that, well, why would you even show me that? Because we don't read your mind. So the onus is on the director to tell her vision to the producer to get them to understand. That's my opinion, right? And I teach that at Commercial Directing Film School. You can learn about it at commercialdirectingfilmschool.com. Um, slid that in, right? Ding. Like, like yeah. butter. Seamless. I need a Seamless. ding Seamless. anytime there's a plug. Ding. <laughs> um, so, but... Um, one that happens is my pet peeve is versions. You know, there's so many pre-pro books and the agency has a Google Doc and the scripts change from the client and the wardrobe wasn't updated. So my whole thing is keep track of the versions. When I get on set and the script supervisor has the wrong you know, version of the script. Yeah. It may be a word or two, but it's like, we're production. We're supposed to be like, almost like the military buttoned up. On with, top of that shit. Yeah, yeah. And that hasn't happened to me in ages, but you put me on the spot. Well, no, I mean, like in uh, Lawrence, I'm just going to keep waxing on this. It is our responsibility to prepare you with all the tools that you have and you don't, it, it's as much as you want or as little as you want of agency 
interaction as well. So we don't have to go through the 50 versions of how it got here, but this is what we've settled on. So yes. here you go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's lost sometimes. Some directors want to know everything. Some don't. Again, they think it's learning or just having that discussion in the beginning of, you know, sorry, I'm going to go off on a tangent. I, as a producer, will um, almost interview the director when I work with one for the first time and say, do you normally do your own shot list? Would you like support with that? Do you, you know, if we can't afford, I know, right? <laughs> like, you just go down the line of where the director feels like they can have the most support possible and do all the jobs that they want to do, and we'll do the rest. So back in the day when I started, it was probably post-Y2K, and the millennials can Google that, okay? <laughs> there was a director, Marcus Nespel. I fucking knew you were going to say and, his name. I'm sorry. And Marcus Nespel who I interviewed on my podcast, Respect the Process. He was genius. He's a super sweet guy. He brought up his manifesto. Oh, uh, you know, Jordan, there was, uh, he's German, right? I don't do the impressions, but he was like, you know, you probably want to ask me about the, you know, the manifesto because uh, I, I, it was a memo. It was a memo. But in hindsight, it was genius, you know, they want to say, like, don't look at Marcus. Marcus likes fresh squeezed orange juice. He only likes hoop earrings on actresses. And I've had so many particularities as a director wanting the pre-pro book to be a certain way. Like, I like it specifically. Like, we can go in the weeds on this, right? Because of the audience understands. I like it to go client up top centered, agency underneath, and production company at the bottom. I don't need the big-ass production company logo smack dab in the middle of the pre-pro book <laughs> cover because the eight, the clients don't even know the production company. The clients are like, they know Jordan because he did a call and the agency talked him up and blah, blah, blah. Right? Not that I'm all that, just that's the gig, right? It's a director-driven business. And so when you put the company name up top, it's like, you don't get it. You don't get it. That's not what we're selling here. It's the client and maybe even a sub-brand extension that's important. You know, if if we're doing a Pepsi commercial, or excuse me, like a Diet Pepsi commercial, don't put a big Pepsi logo. It's Diet Pepsi, and the brand manager is assigned to our commercial that the agency has been working with for three months before they even heard of us, Works for Diet Pepsi. So, like, get that straight. So, why Marcus? Because I told my lovely wife, who's a very talented filmmaker, Jeanette Godoy. Learn more, Jeanette Godoy. I don't even know what her website <laughs> is, so I can't plug it. No bell, no bell. <laughs> she goes, why don't you just do the manifesto? I mean, jokingly. But a template to say, I like this, I like that. I even have a special thing that those who work with me know. I have it. I would show you, but I don't want to step away from the mic. I have a special tray with gum, mints, little tooth flossers, a Velcroed trash can to put the little flossers in, and some little, sometimes little mouthwash with cups if they love me, so that everyone can have fresh breath after lunch. Idiosyncrasy? Maybe. It just made its return since COVID killed it uh, 
about a, about two years ago today. I mean, three hopefully. years ago. Three two. years ago. Two. Two years ago. Oh. Sorry, boys. Two years what year ago. is it? <laughs> so I'm putting the fresh breath tray in the manifesto. I love it. It's very thoughtful. Yeah, it's very thoughtful. I have a question. Uh, You know, in this kind of weird world of commercial filmmaking, there seems to be a little bit of a team. There's a trifecta around you, right? So you're the director. There's the line producer, a first AD, and a DP, director of photography. Yes. Right? Do you have a particular style or approach in terms of how they work with you for each of these people? Or are you more... Obviously, the the DP role is a much more of a creative decision. Mm-hmm. But is there an approach that you like from these people that make you feel like you're supported and able to do your best work? That's a great question. I love when the AD and the line producer are in cahoots, right? Mm-hmm. I love mm-hmm. when they do scheduling. I mean, here's the dirty secret. Jordan Brady doesn't really look at the schedule well, because— Why would you? Yeah. Well, I know. Here's what I look at. I have two two rules. Okay. Don't start with the wide shot. And that's if I've been unsuccessful talking the agency out of the wide shot altogether in the commercial. <laughs> we don't right. need we don't need the shot of the wide establishing. Store. Don't need the wide establishing, okay? So if it's like no, no, the client wants to see their logo on the side of the building, okay, don't do it first. It takes too much energy. Everybody gets hung up on the performance in the middle of the script, and I'm a jerk if I don't let the actors do the whole thing. And someone's like, we don't like when she says this. Like, you you don't even see her. You're never going to be on the wide. Never going to be on the wide. So that's one. I always look like, if we're doing it, don't schedule it first. And this is a gem that I'm about to drop. I do comedy, God willing. Get the funny before lunch. Don't schedule the big funny bit with the performers while the blood is in their tummy soaking up the, uh, you know, the whatever they The lamb confit. Yes. (laughs) The life rice. Lamb confit. Because they're not as funny. So so I look at that. Like, I look at the first shot up. If there was a hurricane and we couldn't shoot after lunch, we we could run this bit and have a spot. Oh, that's fucking smart. So I love when the AD and the producer know that. It's in the manifesto. And and I call the, Lawrence, I call the trifecta the DP, the wardrobe stylist, and the production designer. That's the creative trifecta that, like, back in the day, I would have the DP and the production designer and the stylist, like, step into the pre-pro and hold up the chicken nuggets which were brown in front of a light blue shirt, and then a production designer had the wood panel. It's like three layers of shit to say, this is why it's not that pattern cowboy western shirt that you like. Right. Because here's the product, here's the background, here's the background for the background. I remember when there was money like that. Yeah. I remember production managing those types of jobs where you'd have 14 samples from like, you know, a floor store of linoleum that was never going to be seen. But we mm-hmm. had it, and we got to pick it, and it was great. Because, But that, <laughs> I mean, I remember when, you know, you could take your production designer on lo- location Scout. scouts. Yeah. Location scouts, not the tech scout, but actually just bringing them to every house that you would look at in order to pick the house. Mm-hmm. 
boy, those were fun jobs. <laughs> and and a lot of the DPs that I'm fortunate enough to work with will say, look, if you want me to come to the scout, I'll, you know, I'd love to I'll come. I'll, I'll just meet you there. I won't charge. Oh. That's how they talk. Because they want to be prepared too. <laughs> Marcus said a very good thing at the end of, he goes, nobody said, he, he was talking about the olden days versus the, uh, the new times. And he summed it up by going, you know, sometimes I just wish they would give us the money and walk away to let us make the magic. Mm, amazing. <laughs> Boy, do I have some Marcus stories. <laughs> I've heard him say something very similar directly to agency before. <laughs> it may have not been that nice. Yeah. Now, I like, look, I've never worked. I've never worked with him. We've just hung out like that. And, yeah. and the idea is, is right However, I would counter that the agency being stewards of the brand and and often having a lot of on-set experience are a second set of eyes. So there's a balance, I think. Right. 100%. Well, so actually, that does tie in my next question, Lawrence, if I may. So Please. Basically, I've had to have discussions with um, directors and nobody, I mean, please, if you get butt hurt over this, I apologize. I did not mean you. When we're doing commercials or advertising or content grab or whatever it is, it's not your personal project. And we do have somebody that we have to check in with in order. I mean, this is how we get our money and you get your exposure so that we can, you know, like, you know, you can put this on your reel and all those things. But in the end, we it's advertising. So we have a boss that is telling us. We, it's not like a movie studio or those types. We have a really direct boss. We also have a team of agency people who have been with these um, ideas and clients for eight months and have probably workshopped the majority of the questions that you have and have come up with these solutions, Right. So I think that a commercial director will best enhance the creative when they understand those things. And I would love to know if you feel that way and what has changed since the heyday of the late 90s and the mid-2000s of, you know, spectacular $1.5 million commercials every other day to now where, you know, we have 30 grand to grab some content with a C300. Again, another great question. You know, uh, I feel like I could produce for you, George. You could, please, be great. <laughs> be wonderful. Well, you you mentioned you brought up a couple of great points. Once I believe and teach, the commercial director is more of a midwife, and a wonderful director, Rachel Harms, said, uh, "I'll push back on the midwife and say more like a dressmaker." If the client doesn't like your sleeveless dress because she's not happy with, or he, or they, is happy with their arms, you'll put sleeves on it because you've signed up for that. And my daddy always told me, he who pays the piper picks the tune. So, ce n'est pas uh, tout chef d'oeuvre, as the French would say. It's not your fucking masterpiece. Now, I'm a mercenary. If the script was good and the budget was fine, I would sell vape pens to toddlers. <laughs> Same. In fact, I know and, of a guy. I know yeah. a guy. <laughs> and, and so I am a bit, and hopefully my counterparts are, and you've, you know, produced for them and had them on your show. I'm, a, I'm a, not just a mercenary for the product and the script and the project, but I'm like 
obsessive about it. Mm. Mm. Like when I did Popeye's chicken, the family never went to KFC. We just didn't because we <laughs> like we were that crazy about it. <laughs> I happened to be this on-air spokesperson for Popeye's chicken in for three years in the two thousands. While directing the commercials, yes, I was a man like on the street over? guy. That oh, man and on the man on the street. And the, my Russian bookkeeper would go, you've got to bore chicken money. We love this chicken. But then when I did KFC years later, we never went back to Popeye's. We went to, we went to KFC. You've got new chicken money. Just from them, a lot of my career was food commercials, so I totally get you on that one too. And I've done several Popeyes, but I don't think that we ever worked together. No, we would know. we would remember. Popeye, <laughs> remember Pope, Popeyes fried chicken was my first job as a teenager when I was like uh, fourteen years old. Oh wow! I buttered biscuits. They're better. They're buttered three times. They're, they're really three good. times in the process. Yeah, Lawrence. Fun fact: <laughs> yes. Not only did I, did I do the radio and the voiceover. But I also did something, it was these little blurbs we would record every quarter that played in the back of the house, in the, in the kitchen. Oh, in store. Oh, oh, interesting. Hey, it's 20 minutes past the hour. You know what? Check on that grease. Does it need a changing? Shut wow. the fuck up. Do you have any of those samples that we could use? I have, I have no idea. <laughs> oh please my check God. all your DAT tapes in your storage that, unit sure. right now for us. That is please. amazing. Out the DAT. I also do a lot of voiceover work, but I've never had anything that 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 awesome before. It's beyond industrial. Beyond industrial. That's that's super industrial. Okay, I'm really excited about this. We've hinted at it a little bit, but your commercial, and correct me if I'm saying it wrong, commercial directing boot camp, is that the correct name of it? Yes. Commercial directing boot camp is a an in-person quarterly workshop. It's like eight hours, limited seating. I just did one. I don't know when this drops, but I just did it recently. And it's, I say things in the room that I wouldn't even say on this uh, trusted podcast. And it's, you know, it's industry tips, how to manage a career. And some people are like, I, uh, the last one, there were four veteran filmmakers. There's DPs, there's agency producers and whatnot. And then when the pandemic hit, I kind of cannibalized the best, some of the best, more generic stuff. And I put an online commercial directing masterclass out. So as a student of branding and advertising, I lumped them together under the banner commercialdirectingfilmschool.com. Got it. So, Got it. There so you go. The, the boot camp is an in-person, very personal. I watch your work. I know to customize the content for the 15, hopefully 20 again, but covid filmmakers and you it's very give and take right the masterclass is online so like two and a half hours of wonderful content and i have a new can i tell you about the new one yes please oh my goodness i have a new online course that answers the question that i get asked most often as a commercial director can i shadow you on set Oh, and the answer is no fucking way. No fucking way. Right. Okay, because I got a client, I got an agency, and the creative director wants to be in a baby Bjorn in front of me. So I had, uh, I carried a 360 camera, like a body cam almost, 
and I had a behind-the-scenes team. The agency knew what I was doing. I'm in Video Village. I'm We're plussing the script. I would go back to the actors, and I'm running the crew. Because those are the three areas. You got to run the crew. You got to work with the actors. And you interface, collaborate, and elevate with the agency. So I would say most filmmakers know if they're any good. They know the first two. They can run the crew. They made a film. They worked in TV, whatever. They're great with actors. But it's that elusive agency interface. So I'm... I'm editing that project as we speak. And the freaking hard drive crashed, and I had to pay, like, some Israeli special unit to rescue the data. It was crazy. Oh, my God. But that's not interesting for your your listeners. All of it's interesting. But, you know, what we think is interesting, and I was excited when I found you and your podcast and now these courses that you do, is that there's no training program for what we do. Correct. Especially as especially as directors and producers. I mean, you know, maybe we can't shadow J- Jordan Brady, so who are you going to shadow? That For you to be able to put this knowledge together and put it out there is just great. I, I assume it's been wildly successful. It has been wildly successful. I've managed to do it with the ebb and flow of, like, knock on wood, being a, a steadily working director. And... There was one time when I had a large chunk coming up and I had to cancel because, I mean, I, you know, it was well enough in advance, like, okay, I have to focus on the job at hand. The big trick is it's not directing and compete. It's very competitive, but it is not a zero-sum game. So if I tell you the things I've learned, a lot of them will help you, and some of them may not be your style, but it doesn't take a job away from me, right? So it only helps people tell better stories faster. You know, producing, you could, you know, there should be a producer's boot camp. And a lot of people ask oh me God, about there should be. running we're their working, own company. We're working on it. We're working oh, you on have it. to have it. You have to do <laughs> I it. Yeah. And I you can whip some fucking people in shape, let me tell you. And if you have any online component, let's put it on commercialdirectingfilmschool.com. We love it. Yeah, because, you know, both Christian and I, same kind of thing. I went to film school, didn't learn a lick of this. Right. Self-taught. Even if you come up as a coordinator and then a production manager and then a line producer, once you make that switch from production manager to line producer, it's a whole different world. There yeah, is You got to no, relearn everything. You relearn everything, especially coming up at the decades we came up in. There, there was no sharing of information. There was no network of like, oh, you know, here, try this, or here's a solution. None no, of we that. created that ourselves. We created our that friends. ourselves. Yeah. yeah. Well, let me ask you a question. What's the way to transition for someone coming up on set that wants to be a producer? How do they, do they just find a project to produce? Well, you know, as they say, like anybody can call themselves a producer. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> just so you know. Yes. Um, that doesn't mean anything. I, there was there was there was something I read when I was in film school. I don't remember who it was, and I wish I wish I did, but it was a quote, and it was: "If you want to be a writer, write something. If you want to be a director, direct something. If you want to be a producer, produce something." So take that with a grain of salt, because you're not going to just go out and produce a commercial. But well, um, I, but Lawrence I, did. Oh. What do you mean? So I, Lawrence and I were PMs together. We were working at places like, and I'm going to name names, RSA, Anonymous, all the Marcus Nispels oh, of the world, HSI, fucking <laughs> all of it, right? There you go. I dropped that shit. Um, they're anonymous. They're still around today, all those people. Radical. 
so anyway, we were there and we were both PMing and we were sharing some producers and he turned to me one day and said, I can fucking produce better than this person that we're working for. I'm just going to do it. And the next job he took was producing and that was it. And I think that you get to that point of, I learned just as much from a horrible producer when I was a PM than from a good producer because I would see what I didn't want to repeat. I felt how I felt and didn't want to treat anybody this way or make them feel this way. I also saw the mistakes that were being made and thought, I don't have to make that mistake in order to know I don't want to do it. When you find that right team of people or the people who are willing to nurture you and bring you up is... I mean, that's the best thing that you can do is if we're not passing this along or being the examples for the production teams that are out there now, then what the fuck are we doing? There's enough work to go around. You're not taking jobs or clients from me. I could give a shit. If this director likes you better than me as a producer, fantastic. Have at it because there'll be somebody else I'm a better match for. That's 100% wonderful And if we adopted this philosophy. types of attitude, well, if we had, and it works. Believe me, because people, <laughs> the other philosophy is don't want them as much as they want you. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, but it's kind of true, right? Right. And, you know, if I ever connect people or pass on a gig and say, hey, why don't you check out her? Or, oh, I know someone, especially with the film school, I've been able to be a resource for projects that I wouldn't be right for or I'm busy. And someone will say, well, you know, what do I owe you? I was like, just be good. To be yeah. good. So yeah. be, and, Don't and make I'm somebody a, call me and say, um, who is this guy yeah. you gave me? I'm like, no. Like, I only, I, my philosophy is to only recommend people who are better than me. That's why Lawrence gets all of my recommends. Aww. Hmm. Aww, Aww Christian. And y'all know who else out there. Yeah. That's a yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But it's true. Like, I don't have to be in the competition of best producer. I know I'm good, so. I'm the most accommodating comedy director in my price range. <laughs> <laughs> Is that your tramp stamp or your bumper sticker? <laughs> it's kind of. It's on a mug. Being a little senior and working for you know, there's some creative teams that are like my kids' age, and which is cool, which it's is cool now, because you can you can mentor them. It, you know, if it trips you up, that's you, that's your problem, right? For me, I love it, and and I love helping, and and that's its own reward. The teaching and giving back and mentoring is its own reward. I'm also fortunate that I work with my kids. Really? Yeah, my son Jake edits my podcast. Ah. And then my son, Ben, is a cinematographer and uh, up-and-coming director. And then he'll work on the crew. Like, he was on the crew with the DP, Jordan Levy, that I work with that you may know. Mm -hmm. and, yes. And they hire him without me being involved if it's someone else's oh, shoot. Oh, that's a perfect compliment. Exactly. Yeah. So, and my wife is a filmmaker. So, like, I did second unit... I directed second unit on her film, and my son pulled focus, and uh, and Jordan DP'd it. It was, yeah. Did he load the film? Brady Girl. Industries over there. Somewhat, <laughs> yeah. No, it's really fun. And my daughters don't, my daughters are in school. One's an actress, and the other, ironically, studies advertising at UT and wants nothing to do with the business. So we'll see. I mean, they're all super smart kids. Yeah, very, very fortunate. <laughs> 
So you heard it here, producers. Bring the solutions, apparently, yeah. is the, uh, I mean. right? Bring the okay, solutions. So, Lawrence, if you were to ask my kids, because they've all helped in some way, even you know they were little, what's the one thing your dad says about filmmaking? They will, by rote, say, there's only solutions in filmmaking. Because I don't want any fucking belly aching. Like, yeah. if you told me you're going to help me, don't tell me you're meeting the homies in an hour. Because you told me you were helping. There's only solutions, so let's figure this out. This is taking longer than I thought. I mean, I don't get oh, this oh, anymore, oh. but when they were right, right, teens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah there's taking only solutions. Than I thought. There's only well, solutions. I remember being told that by, I was at Propaganda. Yes, everyone. Oh, yeah. I was a coordinator at Propaganda. And they had a my film thing. They fucking did satellite mm-hmm. films, yeah. And oh, I met Pam Thomas was there. There was a lot going on during this. Brian Belatech. So all of that was, you know, to say that I was told uh, my PM turned to me in a very mean and nasty way. Said, "All I hear are problems. I need for you to tell me solutions." But in the moment, you know, and crying in the bathroom and coming back. I realized that I will only ever fucking show up with solutions now. It was almost a dare. And I feel like I learned it because it was in the situation I was in. But expressing that in a way that people understand it is how I try to find working with people. Like you either praise them because they've come with a solution or you yell at them because they haven't. Or whatever the thing is for that particular individual, teaching them that to critical thinking and to at least take a stab at solving it so that we can discuss it would be the way to go. You know, a lot of people, directors and producers, will lead their producerial team or the crew by either dangling the carrot or hitting them with the stick. I like to hit them with the carrot. <laughs> yeah, it's delicious. <laughs> Thank you, Lawrence. Thank and you. Is that, is see that, better afterwards. Is that new? Is that new material? That's, that's also? new material. That, new material. New okay. Yeah, for the producers' <laughs> happy hour. Tight five. Got your tight five going. <laughs> Jordan, thank you so much for having a drink with us today and sharing some of your director knowledge about what it means to be a good producer. What's the best way for people, A, to find you and listen to Respect the Process and find out more about uh, your film school? Respect the Process uh, is a filmmaking podcast focused on making commercials. And I would love to have the two of you on. Or if you can share this, we'll call it a a simulpod. Hey, how about that? Love so it. So think about think about that. Okay, right? we should. I would just do an intro, yeah. and we can we can run this because I think people would learn. And it's everywhere, you pod. I was going to pull it yes. from Spotify in solidarity with uh, Neil Young and whoever else, yeah, yeah. and I thought, you know, I don't want to piss off those twelve listeners. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's be, everywhere. One of them could be that client. You don't know. You have 12? Holy shit, how do we get there? (laughs) Uh, JordanBrady.com has everything. And then CommercialDirectingFilmSchool.com. CommercialDirectingFilmSchool.com has links to the master class, to the boot camp. And if I may, September 30th through October 2nd, our first ever filmmaker retreat in Joshua Tree. Where the yeah, the theme is uh, define your voice so that you can really hone in on what it is you want to do 
as a filmmaker, specifically, you know, in advertising. So hopefully it's transformational. In Joshua Tree, it better be. I have I a house know, in right? Joshua Tree, so I split my time between L.A. and Joshua Tree, and uh, it's just my one of my most favorite spots in the world. It's lovely oh, I'm out so there. envious. Yeah, maybe I'll be around when you're out there, and we can, uh, we Lawrence, can have a come over Howl at the Moon with us. Absolutely. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Lawrence, <laughs> how do people get a hold of you if they want you? Me, little old me, two ways. Voiceoflawrence.com for my voiceover work and lawrencetlewis.com for uh, everything else, including the Joshua Tree Retreat. Sister, how about you? Sisterchristianproduces.com. Y'all know. Y'all know. See ya. See ya. Producers Happy Hour was brought to you with the help of Christopher Daniels, who is a design and branding specialist, and Eric Beals, who is our podcast editing wizard. Thanks for listening, and remember, enjoy Happy Hour when you can. Because making shit is hard. Eh, what are you going to do? <laughs>